guests, long-time attenders. I'm so glad that you're here. And if this is your first or second week here at Covenant, I want to invite you to fill out a brown card at the back, place it in the black basket, and get one of these beautiful Covenant mugs. Um, I personally drink out of one of these myself, so it has my full endorsement. So this morning, we're going to be continuing our series called Happy Church, where we're seeking to recover the idea that God wants us to be happy. This doesn't mean that God wants to give us sports cars and cash and houses and jewels and riches and diamonds, whatever. But it means that God knows that the only thing that will bring us pure happiness is a vital relationship with him and Jesus Christ. And as we've discussed before, as Christians, we sometimes get a little bit uncomfortable when thinking about this idea that God wants us to be happy. But in reality, we all know that true happiness can come from a relationship with him and him alone. And what's awesome is that he's given us the tools for happiness, such as scripture and prayer and worship. And if we have a vital relationship with God that brings us happiness, then we need to be constantly devouring the word of God and connecting with God through prayer. These things are all good for us. And chances are, what I've said the past few weeks has been a good reminder of those things that God has given you to grow closer to him. But this morning, I'm going to take a little bit of a different turn. And I'm going to uh, be talking about a a topic which very few have ever heard from the pulpit. But before I share what this topic is, I want to share something with you. So a few weeks ago, I was at a fundraising dinner with Ken Jenkins, one of our elders. We were talking about this very serious happy church and how much we loved going through it, how it was a great series to go through. And I told Ken a very little known fact about myself. And that's the fact that the number one song the week that I was born in 1988 was Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Y'all know that song, because with the whistling and everything. So I told Ken, you know, I was born to preach through this series. And of course, I was only half joking. So a couple days later, it's Sunday. After church, we have this wonderful Sunday lunch. And as I was eating lunch with some folks, a couple people walked up to me and said, (laughs) that's so cool you have that balloon tied to your car. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I go out to my car, and sure enough, I find this balloon attached to my side view mirror. And for those of you who can't see what it says, it says, be happy, Benny, hashtag classic Ken, written on both sides. And sure enough, it was Ken Jenkins who uh, put it there. Hashtag classic Ken. That's the hashtag I use for, uh, for him and all the interesting stuff that he says. So I'm going to toss this over here. It can be a delightful distraction for you all. So anyways, there's no point to that story whatsoever. Okay? Other than the fact that it's humorous. It's funny. We laugh at it. And that's what my sermon's about this morning. Humor. And I guarantee you that 98.8% of you have never heard a sermon on this topic before. I know I haven't. But there's a lot that can be said about humor. And I could give a whole long, day-long seminar about it if I could. But in the words of the great George Burns, the secret to a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending and to have the two as close together as possible. So let's talk about humor. Let's talk about laughter. I want to give you a a few facts about humor that I find super interesting. Number one, laughter is contagious. If I'm watching something funny by myself, chances are I'm not going to laugh too much. But when I'm with other people, I'm going to laugh a lot. In groups, women laugh more than men. 
What's interesting is that women tend to laugh more at men than men at women. I guess we just do silly, sillier things, I guess. Most laughter occurs at points in a conversation rather than after an intentional joke. So we're more prone to laughing about something in a conversation rather than laughing at a punchline. I've noticed that people don't really tell as many jokes anymore. And I think it's because there's so much fodder in our regular everyday conversations that we don't need to insert something that isn't natural. Speakers tend to laugh more than their audience. Now, I, I, I know this doesn't happen at Covenant, but it happens everywhere else. Most folks can't laugh on command. I know I can't. And also the brain can detect that fake laughter. You can tell when somebody's fake laughing like, ha, 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 like that. Those are just a couple facts about humor and laughter. And some theologians, some philosophers throughout history, like Soren Kierkegaard, have said that humor is rooted in the unexpected. You laugh at something because it's super clever and you didn't expect it, or because it's so cheesy and you can't help but laugh at how silly it is. Cool thing is that scientists don't really have a category for humor or laughter either. It serves very little purpose in our lives. But I firmly believe that God gave us a sense of humor because he knew how much we would love it. He knew how much it would make us happy. And since we're created in the image of God, we feel a whole wide range of emotions. I think it's fair to say that God has a sense of humor and that God is the source of most humor. There's been a whole host of theologians that have thought about this throughout history. Like I've said, book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep, a time to laugh. Kierkegaard, humor is intrinsic to Christianity. G.K. Chesterton, a good joke is the closest thing we have to divine revelation. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whom you guys know died at the hands of Hitler, says that ultimate seriousness is not without a dose of humor. And what I want to do this morning is talk a little about, about humor. Because it's not something that we really reflect on a whole lot as Christians. But I think the Bible has a ton to say about it. And some of it is quite humorous, I might add. Hashtag LOL. It's the name of my sermon, by the way. But more importantly, I think there's a theological dimension to humor as well, which I think we need to recover in order to find our true happiness and joy in Jesus Christ. So before we get into that, will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we can come together, sing together, open your word, and have a couple chuckles. I pray that you'll bless our time this morning as we survey all that your word has to say and all the things that you want us to internalize in our minds and hearts and do with our hands. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So the Bible is filled with all different kinds of stuff. It's got stories. It's got genealogies. It's got inventories of stuff. It's got laws. It's got historical surveys. It's got prophecies. It's got poems. It's got psalms. It's got everything. And there's a whole wide range of emotions woven all throughout Scripture. You see happiness, you see sadness, you see grief, anger, confusion, the whole gamut. But in the midst of all this, sometimes we forget that the Bible has a lot of funny stuff in it. Check this out right here, Genesis 18. A few divine visitors go and visit Abraham and Sarah and tell Sarah that she's going to have a kid. Now I'm going to read this this, uh, passage in the message because I think it really grasps the meaning of the text. It says, one of them said, I'm going to come back this time next year. When I arrive, your wife Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent opening, just behind the man. Abraham and Sarah were 
old by this time, very old. Sarah was far past the age of having babies. And Sarah laughed within herself, an old woman like me get pregnant with this old man of a husband. God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying me have a baby, an old woman like me? Is anything too hard for God? I'll be back this time next year and Sarah will have a baby. And Sarah lied. She said, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. But he said, yeah, you did. You laughed. So Sarah's like, look, I'm super old. And literally what it says in the Hebrew is this guy's like almost dead right here. <laughs> literally, that's what it says. Okay. But I love what her exchange is with God. Sarah's like, I didn't laugh at that. And God's like, yeah, you did. And, and that's where the story cuts short. It just stops. And your Bible's like, I guarantee you the story just stops. It stops on, that, on the punchline. And if you know that whole portion of the Bible, it gets pretty dark right there. But this is a moment where God kind of jokes around with one of his children. It's kind of funny. You skip ahead of the book of Exodus, where God's just parted the Red Sea and he's freed the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians. And God meets Moses on top of Mount Sinai and gives him the law that his people will follow. And Moses wanders down to catch the Israelites making an idol to worship. And God says to Moses, look, Moses, look at what your people have done, Moses. Your people have created themselves a nice little idol to worship. I'm going to rain down hellfire on your people, Moses. And then Moses is like, Lord, why would you do that to your people? You brought them out of Egypt. Who said, you, they said you would, you said they would be your children forever. And this is funny because no one wants to take responsibility for these people's mistakes And God just messes around with Moses a little bit. And then finally God's like, yeah, that's right. They're my children. They're not yours, Moses. You skip ahead to the book of Esther. It's a really good story, I might add. But it seems like every other sentence, there's something about a party going on. These people, these rulers, live their whole lives as if it's like one big party. It's like the great Gatsby over there. I think I heard one commentator say, do these rulers have anything to do But wine and dine and plot and wine. It's catchy. You fast forward to the book of Jonah, which is a crazy book within itself, right? The book starts off like this. God tells Jonah, go and preach the good news to the Ninevites. They need to repent because they've made me very angry. So Jonah's like, I'm not going there. And he runs off to a boat to get away from God. And a big storm happens. He gets eaten by a big fish. The fish pukes him up on the shore. And then God basically tells Jonah, Did I stutter? And he says the exact same thing like he first did. Go and preach the good news to the Ninevites because they've made me very angry. So Jonah goes, he listens, he preaches to the Ninevites. They all repent and Jonah gets all pouty about it. He says to God, I knew that you would be gracious with these people. I knew that you would forgive them. I'm so mad I could die. And here's how the book ends. It says, God said, what do you have to be angry about? But Jonah just left. He went out of the city to the east and sat down in a sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. God arranged for a broadleaf tree to spring up. It grew over Jonah to cool him off and get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased and enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up. But then God sent a worm. By the dawn of the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree, and it withered away. The sun came up, and God sent a hot, blistering wind from the east. 
The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint. He prayed to die. I'm better off dead. Then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to be angry about this shade tree? And Jonah says, plenty of right. It's made me angry enough to die. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you guys have ever been angry that you've lost a little shade? Okay, a couple people, a couple Jonas out there, all right? The book of Jonah teaches us humorously, I might add, that following God is a whole lot easier than ignoring him and that losing your shade is quite a frustrating experience. There's some funny stuff in the Old Testament. I could talk about how this one king, I think it says in the book of Kings, that this one king reigned for eight years and then he died, but no one missed him. That's literally what it says. I could talk about other things too, but I won't. But then you get into the New Testament, and Jesus is full of some pretty funny stuff. You know what passage I talked about last week dealing with the Lord's Prayer? Before Jesus gets into that actual prayer that he prays, he has some choice words for some different folks. He says, when you pray, don't be like those hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now you read that and you're like, that's really not that funny, Ben. What are you talking about? But to Jesus' audience, they knew what these kinds of people were. They knew who they were. It's like, a, it's like observational humor. It's kind of like Jerry Seinfeld. Have you ever noticed? And this is what he says. This is what Jesus says in the message translation. Because when you come before God, Don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. You think God sits in a box seat? And that's pretty close to what the Greek text would read like. And the folks who have been listening would have been like, yeah, I know who those people are. So you got Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet, the priest, the king, the son of God, the original stand-up comic. Another one of my favorites is when Jesus, he's on the shore after he's just risen from the dead. He's hanging with his disciples. He's on the shore and he's like, you guys got any food? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Because I think raising from the dead actually makes a dude pretty hungry. It's kind of similar to when Jesus raised up a little girl from the dead. You know, he says, Talitha Kumi, says, up girl. And she wakes up. And he tells the people to be quiet about the situation. You know what he says next? He says, Get her some food. Like I said, this whole resurrection thing probably boosts your metabolism a little bit. So you have to eat a little more. I have this theory that, you know, we're at the end of time, we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb where we're all going to come together and eat this big feast. I think it's because we're going to have these new incorruptible bodies and we're going to be really hungry. It's just a theory. It's just a theory, right? It's not good theology. It's just Ben theology. So the Bible, this is the sliver of all the humor that it uses. There's so much humor all throughout the Bible. What's cool about it is that it's God who's usually doing the joking. I think sometimes we approach Scripture like we approach God with awe and with reverence. But we also forget that God wants to be called Father and that Scripture is a good gift to us for our benefit. Now, I want to change gears a little bit, and I just kind of want to reflect a little bit on humor in Christian perspective. I think our sense of humor reflects the humor of God. Like I said, we're created in the image of God. And that's like a buzzword that you see thrown around sometimes by a lot of folks. There's a lot of weighty thinking regarding what this means to be made in the image of God. But at its core, being made in the image of God means that we share some of the same characteristics as God. We tend to have a sense of right and wrong. 
We have a deep resonance with justice and with mercy. We can feel anger. We can feel joy. We can feel pain and we can laugh. Just look all throughout Scripture. You see God expressing all these different things, especially humor. We were born to laugh. We were created to laugh. It is a gift. And I think that God has shared this gift with us for a few different reasons. I think the main reason that God has given us humor is to help us through dark times. When we lose loved ones, we're sad about it. There's lots of tears. There's lots of grief. There's lots of sadness. But at the same time, there's a lot of laughter too, or at least in my experience. Mainly because you're surrounded by people who want to remember all their experiences with their lost loved one, especially the funny ones. When I think of my grandfather, I think of how he always used to feed me cantaloupe, even though I didn't like it. And about how he would take his ceramic cup of coffee with him on the go, when a traveler's mug would have been so much easier. I make fun of people who actually do that, including several of you in this room. I think about how he would always extol the virtues of the floss pick. You know, the little pick, you can pick your teeth and you can floss with it. I thought it was super uncool, but he was right about that too. And I remember him, most of all, preaching about how the apple fritter was superior to any other donut on the face of the earth. A whole other class. And he was right about that too. And as I reflect on these things, I'm really sad that my grandpa's gone. But God's given me a sense of humor to cope with that. I think it's God's gift to us. And like I said, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And sometimes when it's time to mourn, it's time to laugh as well. I also think that God gave us a sense of humor so that we can share in how he feels when we create our own kingdoms and idols. If you're anything like me, you like those little small dogs that are loud and yappy. I think they're super adorable and fun. My wife hates them. What I find so interesting about them is that they can bark up a storm like no one's business, but their bites are harmless. It's just a little nibble. And because of this, we laugh at them. We think they're adorable. They're so cute. And believe it or not, this is how God reacts to us sometimes. It says in, in uh, Psalm 2 that God laughs at those who plot against him and his Messiah. He laughs. He basically looks at us and says, you know, look at you, your little throne, your little kingdom that you've built with your little land, your little riches, your little victories, little wars. It's going to make a great footstool someday. And that's what he says to us all the time. All right. Whenever we try and make ourselves God or make our plans without him, he laughs. Like it says in the book of Proverbs, in our hearts we have a plan, but God determines our steps. I've personally made all kinds of plans in my heart. I know you have too, but God's flipped everything around for me. I told myself I'd never go into ministry. I told myself I'd never go to seminary, to the seminary that I ended up attending. I told myself I'd never study what I ended up studying in seminary. And I also told myself that I would never, ever end up in Ohio again. Like God said, like, like I said, God has a sense of humor. But God laughs at our foolishness sometimes about how we feel we can do this life without him, without his interference. And yet time and again, he has a way of showing us how in control he really is and how following him will always lead to good things. 
Think about Jonah. It would have been so much easier had he gone to Nineveh right away instead of running as far away as he possibly could. And as I've said before, true happiness comes from knowing God and following him. When you don't follow him, you're fooling yourself into believing that you can make yourself happy because you can't. And to God, this is funny because time and again, he has shown us himself to be super faithful and yet we're too naive or dense to even realize it. Tim McConnell says this in the happy church. He says, the kingdom of God is breaking through in our lives, in our hearts. And as it breaks through, it makes all the false kingdoms of life look silly, silly enough to laugh at. I also think that humor is God's reaction to the enemy that we know as death. In fact, some of the early church theologians joked about how the resurrection was God's practical joke on the devil. In some churches, the Sunday after Easter is often called Holy Humor Sunday because the Christian response to the schemes of the devil are laughter. We know the story. We know how it ends. We know that death doesn't get the last word. We know that Jesus has true victory over his enemies and he laughs in the face of of death. He says, you know how you've terrorized my children on the earth? You're done. Laughter is an emblem of the victory of Christ over the shadows of this present darkness. Oh, death, where is your sting? I can't feel anything. Grave, where is your victory? You're sure not going to get a victory when Jesus comes back. When you think about this all, like Kierkegaard said, Humor is intrinsic. It's embedded within the Christian faith. Why? Because Christ has has achieved a great victory over death. And all the horror and the misery and the pain that death interjects into this world will come to an end. When Jesus comes back and he writes all the wrongs, we're going to look in the face of death and say, LOL. It's because of Christ's victory that we're not afraid anymore. We have the proper perspective on death. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you have fear in your heart. You're scared. You come to Jesus. He'll take away your fear. And then you can laugh at everything you took so seriously and say that God's taking care of me. I have nothing to fear. So whenever you text somebody, LOL, you think about how every day you've known Jesus is an occasion to laugh out loud against the schemes of the devil and against the enemy is death. In fact, what's super interesting about the way God works is that whenever we take communion, we're celebrating that Jesus has conquered death through his own death. It's ironic. It's an occasion to be sad over our sin, to be happy over all that God has done for us, and to laugh in the face of death because he's conquered it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. And as we're singing songs, as we're worshiping, I invite you to come and take communion. Take a piece of bread that symbolizes his broken body. Dip it in the cup and it symbolizes his shed blood. And remember that Jesus has achieved a marvelous victory over death. And in the end, death will not win. He will not stand for death. Like I said, laughter is an emblem of the victory of Christ over the shadows of this present darkness. And when you take communion, you mourn over your sin, but what it cost God to send his son. 
You rejoice in the fact that you get to spend eternity with him and laugh at the fact that death will never be the victor. Death will never have the last word. Laugh in the face of the devil because you know that he loses in the end. Will you stand with me and pray? Dear Lord, I thank you that you've achieved a great victory over death. I thank you that you've given us a sense of humor so that we can laugh in the face of the enemy when he tries to tempt us because we know that at the end of time, your victory will be known to everybody. I pray for so many in here who are scared, who fear. I pray that you'll bestow upon them your sense of humor, which is found in Christ, that he will laugh in the face of present darkness. I pray that as you continue to to work in our lives and in our hearts, that you would continue to grow us closer to you because we know that true happiness, true joy, true gladness is found in you and you alone. I pray that you help us to follow you all the days of our lives so that at the end of time, we can be with you and laugh in the face of death with you, Lord. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.